you, listener. This is Interfaith-ish. I'm your host, Jack Gordon. And every other Wednesday right here on Tacoma Radio, we bring you bold conversations about what we believe, why we believe, and how we navigate the common ground and differences between our traditions. Dear listener, this week I've got another crossover episode featuring guests from terrific religion-focused podcasts I've come across during the pandemic. Recently, I was invited to be a guest on the American Jew podcast, hosted by Jonathan Randall and Jordan Ferber, two comedians based in New York. You can find my conversation with them on their May 15th episode, talking about my family's interfaith heritage and what being Jewish means to me. I was also keen on having the boys join me on our little show to share their perspectives. And for this episode, I teamed Jonathan and Jordan up with two other podcast hosts I'd recently met, Derek Knox and James Jones of the Beyond the Block podcast, which centers marginalized voices in the Latter-day Saint community. Have a listen. All right. All right. All right. All right. So we're on with, with Brother Knox and Brother Jones, and we've got Brother Ferber and Brother Randall also joining us. (laughs) Oh, brother. Oh, wow. Oh, brother. Oh, brother. Where art thou? We've got all four of them. Um, This is is actually a first uh, for this show. We haven't had four guests on together, so it's great to have, have two sets of friends that are that are joining us from different religious perspectives. We've got uh, Derek Knox and um, J- James Jones. I keep on wanting to say Jim Jones, and it just Uh-oh. brings up oh, these connotations. <laughs> <laughs> James Jones from from Beyond the Block, and Jonathan Randall and Jordan Ferber from the American Jew podcast. So welcome, guys. Thank you. Hello. Thank you. So we're gonna we're gonna get into this little interfaith uh, discussion here, and I, I wanted to start with with James and and Derek, who are both part of the LDS tradition. Purpose of the Beyond the Block podcast is to center um, marginalized voices in the LDS tradition. James, you're black. Derek, you identify as queer. So I wanted to start there and just and just hear what is your experience in the LDS tradition and and community. And, and particularly for Derek as a convert, how did, how did you guys come into the LDS tradition? Hmm. Derek, you want to you wanna take that first? No, you go first. <laughs> <laughs> this is so, going to be uh, a decidedly difficult conversation if, if nobody wants to jump in and talk. Yeah. So, um, I, I don't know. This is always a bit of a weird question to answer simply because hmm. this is... This is what I've known growing up. Like I was born and raised in this faith, even though my parents uh, were born in the Southern Baptist tradition. My mom did convert when, you know, a little bit before I was born. So my church home has always been the LDS, the LDS faith tradition. And I did come to acknowledge that there were differences in what the members of the church looked like and what their sensibilities were. And it took a while to really adjust to that as I got older, because, you know, when you're young, you know, you're not totally aware of all the politics that go into your worship experience. Like that doesn't come into play, or at least hopefully it doesn't come into play until much later. Like I know other black members of the church who were very young when they had their first run-ins with with, uh, racism, at least uh, the hostile kind of racism. The racism that I've experienced has usually been of the benevolent variety or the more covert variety, usually with some white leaders remarking how articulate I was or some BS like that. It was always an experience of being around people who just didn't know how to be with you. And um, that, that's not an experience that's necessarily unique to Mormonism. It's, it's something that I definitely experienced or was used to experiencing in any predominantly white space, but with uh, the experience of worship being thrown in there and consequently my spiritual health being thrown in the mix, uh, that became uh, a very interesting sort of experience, a very interesting sort of thing to deal with. So I guess the short answer to that question and perhaps even the nice answer to that question is it's different. It is different being 
a black person growing up in a predominantly white faith such as Mormonism. Probably also a very different, you know, a, a experience for, for Derek coming into, into a new faith community. Uh, Derek, how is it that, that you encountered uh, the LDS church? Well, um, so my academic field is religious studies. So people ask me, how, how did you hear about Mormons? And it's like asking a zookeeper, how did you hear about zebras? Like everyone knows the weird ones. And, <laughs> and, but here I was in Boston, uh, and I was doing a lot of interfaith work with a number of different groups within Christianity and, and outside. So I come from the Lutheran and Episcopal worlds. Uh, that's my background. But I was doing all this interfaith work and I realized I don't have any Mormons in my life. And I thought to myself, how do I get Mormons in my life? And I knew the answer is refer myself to the missionaries and you'll never get them out of your life. <laughs> and, that's true. I've, I've found that to be true. <laughs> and that's what I did. They will talk to you. And yeah. it, at first it was like, how do I build bridges across difference? I really want to reach out and, and understand. And, and But then it made sense to me. It made more sense out of my life and my world. It drew me closer to Christ. It um, provided, a, it just made a lot of sense. I don't want to get into the larger story of it, but that it was right for me. And yes, it is unusual for there to be, uh, uh, you know, some people said, Derek, did you, were you gay before you joined the church? And yes, I was. <laughs> I don't know how that works. That would be a very... That's that's up- a poster to put on the front of it. The LDS church made me gay. That would be... I know. That, would I mean, be. That, that would be a very interesting side effect. A different advertising to, strategy. Yeah. But <laughs> I think the logic is people just don't understand how a proudly and openly gay person would intentionally join the church and I did and for me my path I have a lot of resilience and a lot of resources and a lot of privilege that allowed me to make that journey especially because my field is religious studies uh, primarily the, the bible and that has given me a lot of a lot of tools and a lot of resources and a lot of strategies to really withstand anything that anyone could throw at me and so mm-hmm. for me, my story, every queer story is going to be different. If you know one queer person, you know one queer person. So right. that's, uh, that's, where I, that's where I'll leave it for right now. And so how did, how did the two of you decide then to come together and, and do this show? Like what was the impetus and origin story for that? The impetus for the show was uh, there was an event called the Black LDS Legacy Conference. It just gives... Uh, black folks nationwide, the opportunity, like black Mormons nationwide, the opportunity to gather together and to share stories, have fellowship with each other. And a common sentiment that kept getting echoed during the course of this event was we we want an unregimented space where we can have these kinds of conversations because they're not happening at church. Like when we go to church on Sunday, there's a specific way that those meetings go where we are able to talk about our faith, but not really applied in this particular way. We have to do some real theology as black members of the church to make this an easier journey for us, to make this a journey worth taking. And that's not a conversation that we're having at church. So so a common thought, a common theme was that we want us to be able to have these conversations on a regular basis. And unfortunately, the Black LDS Legacy Conference was only happening once a year. So when I was pondering about it, I was like, well, what are the appropriate mediums? Do we need to create like a Facebook group? Do we need a forum of some kind? And, uh, you know, podcasting was pretty big at that time. I mean, it's everybody listens to podcasts, it seems. And uh, I was like, you know what? It would be great to have a space where we could weekly discuss this stuff. So I was like, so I shot a couple of test episodes with Derek and uh, Derek really seemed to like the idea of what we were doing. We eventually decided to make this a space for where we could discuss all marginalized groups, and uh, the thing just kind of took off from there. Well, turning turning to Jonathan and Jordan, um, you know we've got, we've got James. No, I'm just joking. <laughs> <laughs> You've been so patient and not interrupting. Oh my goodness! I know um, we're so we're very off brand for Jewish people. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, so, you know, you've got these, these two guys that you wouldn't, wouldn't expect necessarily in the more, in the Mormon tradition, uh, a black guy and, and a gay guy. And then you've got these two New York comedians. So you guys are just playing into the Jewish. Thank you for not going to New York Jews. (laughs) 
<laughs> oh, they're New Yorkers. You didn't say they were New Yorkers. Coming to you live from Jaime Town. No, no. Oh, oh boy. <laughs> we're Bostonians over here. You didn't say they were New Yorkers. <laughs> we're yeah, with you're... Jewish. so did you did you guys uh did you guys similarly uh you know meet in hebrew school or something how did you guys meet up no jonathan and i met doing comedy Um, yeah the other temple yes exactly the church of uh the rubber chicken i guess you would call it uh no yeah jonathan and i started doing comedy uh around the same time we both started out uh early in our career working for a club uh, near times square and uh, we became pretty close friends right off the bat and uh, just started, you know, uh, and that's about like 15 years ago. We've been we've been good friends for about 15, 15 years. So what was it then about about each of your I mean, obviously, there, you know, we're joking before there's there are any number of, of Jews that are involved in comedy. Um, what is it that brought you guys together specifically to do your show around um, to put it right on Front Street? American Jew. Why, why, why make it about being Jewish? You know, Jews have money and we were hoping to appeal to them to get some. (laughs) (laughs) No, I think we, we've been talking about trying to collaborate on something for a while and it kind of struck us both that we have very different, um, upbringings. I was raised very reform and Jonathan was raised in a more orthodox community and we've sort of both met somewhere in the middle. Uh, neither of us really subscribes to a lot of the organized religion. We come at it from a very secular standpoint. Um, and I think that, you know, being able to talk about some of these issues, uh, from a contemporary point of view and looking at some of the rituals and some of the things that people don't understand from a perspective of wanting to understand it without having to, uh, adhere to the religious practices was a, was a fun way to sort of break down, uh, a lot of misconceptions. Well, what what I I definitely like about your show is is that even though, as you said, you know, you're coming at it from a secular place, and you know, you're you're comedians, you're you're speaking about these things uh, very irreverently and often sarcastically, um, but but you actually you know do happen to sneak in a good amount of knowledge in there. Like I I think about the the show that you had me on um, was talking about the ins and outs of Lagba Omer, which is a, which is a, a Jewish holiday that probably not a lot of Jews know about, let alone a, a lot of non-Jews. So, um, I think it's interesting that even though you're, you know, you're coming at it from a stridently secular perspective, Jonathan, you've actually got quite a depth of knowledge, um, coming from your background, right? Yes. I can't escape Judaism if I tried. <laughs> So what was it that you grew, what type of community did you grow up in and, and at what point did you decide that you wanted to go in a different direction? I grew up in a modern Orthodox community and I basically pretty much knew like right away, like I was kind of mm. like, what is wrong with these people? Uh, I remember being in synagogue and, you know, seeing people pray and just like not getting it, not understanding what everyone's doing. And, you know, as I got older and you know, I had all these restrictions on me. It was very, you know, freeing to, you know, not, you know, have, you know, things that you can't eat or things that you can't do on certain days. And I just felt like I couldn't really be myself or evolve into a, a, like a real person. Like when I was just kind of like forced to uh, practice all these rituals. So at this point, what what would be the way in which you guys you know, claim the mantle of your Jewishness? Is it just like the water you swim in because you're in this comedy scene and in, and in New York and basically being in New York is akin to being Jewish anyway? <laughs> right, that's the old Lenny Bruce line, right? That's right. Uh, <laughs> you're, you're Jewish by default if you're a New Yorker, right? Right, that's what yeah, Lenny Bruce said. If you're new, from New York, no matter how goyish you are, you're Jewish. And if you're not from New York, no matter how <laughs> Jewish you are, you're goyish. <laughs> You know, this, even though we don't believe in, you know, the religious aspect of it, you know, Judaism still informs, I guess, our lives. Uh, we have a Jewish sensibility. We have, you know, I'd say some Jewish values. Um, you know, we still do participate in, you know, traditions, maybe not for, you know, the religious reasons, but because of the sense of the community and 
also because we love the food that they usually have with a lot of them. <laughs> yeah. You got to know when to show up for the right dishes. Yeah, you got to know who's bringing home the brisket. And, you know, yep. anti-Semitism yep, yep, yep. right now is at an all-time high. Of course, you know, we're 75 years since the end of World War II and the Holocaust. Survivors are dying, you know. And this is something that, you know, I know I take pride in as being a Jew that, you know, we are survivors. We've gone through a lot. And uh, as much as, mm. you know, hatred is, is thrown at us, we still always persevere. And uh, I think that, you know, we still have something to say and we could educate people because there's a lot of misinformation about Jews. There's a lot of these anti-Semitic tropes that are still existing. And hopefully we can do a little bit to quell those. Well, I think that that's an interesting connection, actually, between the LDS culture and um, Jewish history as well. This this idea of taking on the mantle of of surviving and you know standing up for religious freedom, essentially, in in various contexts. So, James and Derek, I mean, for you guys, I'm curious how how you all engage with that as well, because one of the things that I I think is interesting about about your show is that you're talking about religious doctrine in the LDS tradition, but a lot of times you're also talking about the culture and and really urging the culture forward um, and and encouraging this spirit of self-examination within LDS culture. Mm -hmm. Even though Mormonism is still in a notoriously white and heteronormative faith, we can't help but uh, be a global church that just happens to still have a lot of... Uh, you know, straight white males in, in leadership. So consequently, we're going to have to learn at some point to adjust to all these uh, new people and these new ideas that come into the church, because just like Christ church in the, uh, you know, in the old times and in, in the New Testament church, his goal was for a fully diversified uh, church, even though he wanted us all to be into a unity of faith, what he called it. We also wanted it to be fully diversified and integrated. So I see that it's, I, I don't have a crystal ball. I don't know exactly what that's going to look like in the future, but it's definitely going to be an uncomfortable change for the church to make because people are getting louder and bolder about, you know, who is not being seen in the church, about people who ought to have a place that currently don't. And, um, you know, it'll be very interesting to see how that plays out. There's certainly a tension in the church right now. Like there's a lot of, uh, conversation around what it is to be Mormon, like what that looks like and who ought to be included in that equation. Uh, but uh, we're, we're nowhere near finished having that conversation. And we haven't really even named that we're having that conversation. So there's, there's a lot of work to be done. Mm -hmm. Derek, yeah. how, do you feel, how do you feel about, about that tension between sort of the, the doctrinal edicts and then the, the culture, what you experience on a day-to-day -day basis just being part of a community? Yeah, it's really tough because the, the history, the doctrine, and the culture are all intertwined and entangled in a really complicated way. And I think there's a lot of inertia that happens in the culture, things that don't need to be there that aren't even rooted in our sources, but somehow they just happen to, uh, uh, I mean, sometimes the doctrine informs the culture, sometimes the culture sh shapes the doctrine for good or for bad, and just having to navigate all that can, can make it really difficult. And I, for example, here's one example. Uh, we have a culture of, and it, this isn't even rooted in our sources, but we have a culture that says, oh, once the church leaders have spoken, the thinking is done. Um, there's this extra idea of obedience. And, and really, that's not even part of our tradition. It just somehow uh, erupted and, and became predominant that uh, uh, this great deference to church leaders. Uh, we don't officially even think our leaders are infallible. We're not like the Catholics and the Pope. Um, mm -hmm. but it, it's tough to, to navigate against this sort of cultural idea that our leaders are infallible when they've made mistakes many times. We've got 200 years of mistakes that we can point to. And that's kind of what I'm wrestling with is getting back to the sources saying, here's what, what's actually the foundation of our faith, our beliefs, our way of engaging the world. And we don't have to be limited by what this cultural perception is. How's the comedy scene in the LDS community? 
Well, James does not like my jokes. I don't. <laughs> I I think I'm funny, um, and but James does not like my jokes. Jonathan and Jordan, have you guys ever encountered any uh, any LDS com comedians on the scene in New York? I don't think so. Uh, I, no, I know a couple people that have done. First of all, uh, what's his name? Jo uh, I, I know a guy, Josh Homer, who was raised in the LDS uh, community. And I've uh -huh. actually, I've met a comedian. I met this comedian who, uh, I, I did a show once in Utah. Um, and the, the uh, guy, the headliner was this guy named Bent Washburn. And he was hilarious. He did a lot of stuff about uh, having grown up um, in the Mormon community. A lot of jokes about green jello. Well, <laughs> he, had a, he had a joke. I remember specifically, he said that his name is Bent, B-E-G-H-G-T-N-T. It's a very strange spelling. He said some people think it's a weird name, but I feel really bad for my brother, Tafith. <laughs> yeah. Um, oh, boy. And I also remember around that same time, there was a club that opened not far from Salt Lake City, uh, I think near Brigham Young, uh, called Fat, Dumb, and Happy. And it was a comedy club that featured clean comedians and did not sell alcohol. Hmm. And uh, they did not last. <laughs> <laughs> You're not bringing in a lot of money on root beer, I guess. <laughs> I've often thought of using humor as a tool for prejudice reduction because it really can cut through some of the debate and some of the hostility. It really brings you to looking at something from a completely new angle. And especially around LGBT issues, that's kind of what you need is to open up someone's perspective, to humanize the other, to get them looking at it from just a different angle. And yeah. I think humor can really do that. For sure. Well, I think when, when you're talking about something like, you know, uh, you know, communities who have gone through such oppression, right? You, if you're talking about uh, the idea of comedy being resil a, a, a type of resilience, laughing to keep from crying, you know, obviously um, Jews... African-Americans, uh, queer folk, like they're some of our some of our best comedians and entertainers fall into one or more of those categories. And it's not by coincidence, right? Yeah, no, I think a lot of humor comes from being an outsider and, and commenting on uh, the norms of a society that you don't agree with, I think, or, or that you don't adhere 100 percent to. I think a lot of comedy comes from that kind of a perspective. It's also mm -hmm. been a way to gain acceptance for people, you know, that aren't being heard or aren't part. You know, I mean, you make people laugh, they like you. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the, the LDS community has an interesting take historically or in its, in its theology and, and view of history about the Jewish people and, or the Israelites. And I'm wondering if, if James and Derek, if you could, you could, I don't know if Jonathan and Jordan are familiar with this. But maybe you could you could sort of describe that and 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 tell us what your interpretation of what that that story is. <laughs> well, I'm glad you're a comedian so that you'll be able to take this lightly because our history on this is not uh, perfect or pretty. There's a sense in which it can be justly said that Christianity in general has co-opted the Jewish. Uh, narrative and in sense grafted Gentiles into Judaism and then taken the symbols and the texts of Judaism and claimed them as our own. And I think that has that has extended itself also within the Latter-day Saint community. Um, but I think where, where I would go back to this is that if you look at Genesis 12, Abraham was called Jonathan. We're we're calling on your on your your uh, your yeshiva study now. My yeshiva studies. Uh, yeah, I don't know it by Genesis twelve. If you give me a little information. <laughs> uh oh. Well, it's right at the beginning. You should know this one. It was on the first day. Well then. Yeah. Huh? So this is this is the the Lech Lecha story where, Lech Lecha. where Abraham is called out of okay. called out of Mesopotamia. Yeah. And uh, he was called not to be isolated and and have be superior to others to be a blessing that that he that many nations will be made out of him and that he will be a blessing to all the peoples of the world and i think grafting ourselves onto that is really getting to the heart of what we think abraham was doing and what god was doing through abraham blessing the entire world and that's kind of the way we see um the story uh, of jews 
throughout history end up being a light to the nations, blessing the entire world, and then we happen to be the beneficiaries of that blessing. Well, I mean, that's very so, nice. So, it's, it's a lot nicer than a lot of things we hear about Jews, you know, that they're trying to take over the world, that they think they're better than other people. So it's nice to hear that we are like a blessing to the world. You know, Abraham did have two sons, you know, one went and formed, you know, one was like Muslim, one really was Jewish. And to hear that there are other religions that spawned from Abraham too, who we consider the first Jew, like, I think that's great. I'll just say also, you know, if you, uh, when you, when you start talking about, uh, uh, people taking the Jews' uh, iconography and taking some of our, our uh, religious um, uh, images and, and co-opting it for your own thing. I mean, that's probably where copyright law came in later. Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> what, was your, what was your first encounter with Mormonism? Do you remember? Um, I think it was the movie SLC Punk. Yeah. And <laughs> I think that was mine, too, actually. I'm going to Google Child this in right the 90s. now. No, come on. You've never seen SLC Punk? I've never heard of this. No, I've never heard of it either. Wow. Wow. It's got What's the name of that actor that was in it? He was in like he was in Scream, right? He Matthew was in a Lillard. bunch of movies in the 90s. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. He's got a um a really terrible uh um uh mohawk wig that is he's like running around, it kind of flops back and forth. I remember that from <laughs> From the film, I, I don't remember having grown up meeting any uh, anybody from the Mormon religion. I think you know, as a New Yorker, you know, you you hear about things. I, I don't know. I think I probably my first experience were, were probably you know jokes, yeah. about about uh, you know being able to have more than one wife and all that. It, it's interesting to hear you say that that um, that you know that the that Mormons were the butt of the joke, right? Because that was, it sounds like you know in in what what you're talking about. Um, in terms of discrimination and anti-Semitism and everything, a lot of that, you know, stems from from as you said before, being the other, and 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 Jews, you know, being what is it like a punching down, right? Obviously, there's there's a, right. a punching down that happens there, and and for Mormons, I mean, look, you know, it's 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 New York. I don't know if if uh, the the Latter Day Saints that are living in New York, you know, have a different culture. Um, have sort of absorbed that that New Yorkness also, and so they may be less apparent than than uh, LDS elsewhere. But um, but still, that idea of of the Mormon community being someone that's you know a, a group that's other, that's marginalized, that folks are punching down onto because they don't really understand what they're about. Mm. That's uh, well. Yeah. This is what I'm going to say to that because. Mormons as a people, we kind of, we're, we differ from Jews in that we kind of performed an institutional code switch a long time ago to where Mormons mm. have done a very good job of assimilating into whiteness. That is not really something that, uh, and you know, you guys can correct me on this if I'm wrong, but, uh, you know, Mormons have done a very good job of assimilating into whiteness and uh, Jews haven't really embraced that as much, even though they can you know, get a pass or they can pass for white or whatever. Mormons kind of took it to a whole other level. Their initial racialization and their oppression because of that racialization led them to adopt just about every white standard of respectability to the point where they have become the definition of whiteness. When you think of a white religion, you probably think of Mormons. And uh, that's, mm. that's not a coincidence either. So um, I'm always a little hesitant to you know, put us or put Mormons as a people into that group because our remedy to that oppression has been to assimilate into the identity of the oppressors, which is why so many Mormons have those sensibilities. But uh, I don't I don't really see Jews espousing that a whole bunch, at least not the ones that I grew up around. Well, there's definitely, you know, I think less of an, of an adherence to want to assimilate at, at when you get to the uh, the very religious groups. Um, mm -hmm. But I think, you know, Jonathan and I talk about this a lot, about how we identify as Jewish, but we also identify as Americans. And I think the, 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 mm. the path that American Jews have taken, since World War II especially, of not just assimilation, but of trying to incorporate our values into the American value system or try to find ways to, ha to um, show that there are parts of uh, both of the, those ideals that, that are concurrent, that, that work together. Um, I think that America has, 
you know, we're, we're a melting pot and uh, we've got people from all over the, the world that come to, to live in America. And I think Jews in particular uh, had a hard time trying to figure out where, where we fit in. And there's, there's the, as, as the generations go through and, you know, the, the, uh, the strict adherence to a lot of the religious laws uh, gets watered down by generation by generation. You know, I think there's a whole thing of like when you grow up, Jewish, you get your bar mitzvah, and then there's like a gap until you have your own kids, where where it matters to you again. I think mm-hmm. that there's a there's a, there, there's there's a long period where you where as an American Jew, if you're not from a very religious household, there's less emphasis on the importance of a lot of that stuff mm-hmm. until you get to a point where you have your own family and you want to start thinking about how you're going to raise those kids. I that's just my opinion anyway. I don't know, you know, I can't speak for everybody on that, but that's my my sense of it is that I don't see a lot of people who are, you know, um, as involved until they start to have to make those decisions for a, a future generation. Gotcha. So how do you, how did, how did the two of you, um, Jonathan and Jordan see that issue of continuity? I mean, obviously, you know, that's, that's, a, a, at, at the heart of a lot of the anxiety around, around, um, uh, not just you know overt anti-Semitism, but also things like intermarriage, uh, interfaith marriages, um, but for for you know two guys that are that are uh, admittedly secular in your approach to to Judaism, how do you see Jewish continuation going? I don't think do either of you have kids. No. So so what would what would what do you feel like that would look like for for you know kids that you potentially brought up or or for you know folks that are in a similar position? You know, it really depends. It's on a case-by-case basis. And, you know, I, I feel like religion is evolving as society evolves. I think Judaism is too. You know, we are now at a point in time where people are really starting to realize that, you know, you don't, uh, you could not be a supporter of Israel and still be Jewish. Doesn't mean you're an anti-Semite. You could, you know, still identify as being a Jew and, you know, not participate in the traditions. So, you know, I think, you know, if I if I had a child, of course, I would, you know, let him know, you know, where he's kind of coming from. Like I mentioned before, you know, Jews do have a rich history, uh, which I think is important, especially, you know, all the hatred that we've gotten throughout history. I think that's made us stronger and it's something that we should share and talk about. And, you know, I, I, I like to celebrate some of the holidays. It's a nice time to bring the family together. But. You know, I hope to educate my child on all religions. And, you know, I don't, I may be a Jew, but it doesn't mean I specifically believe in Judaism more than any other religion. And I think it's important to have a knowledge of everything that's going on so you can make a decision of what's right for you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So during our show, we have this opportunity to um, turn the mics over to our guests. And, and we want to see if you guys have any questions for one another. It sounds like. Uh, Jonathan and Jordan um, have some interaction, uh, maybe uh, culturally, um, with folks in the in and socially with the with folks in the LDS community, either through trips out to, to Utah or in the comedy scene. I watched. Uh, and Big sounds Love. like James. And <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Slanted views of the L- LDS community, L- L- uh, SLC punk and and Big Love. Um, and uh, and James, you said that you. It sounds like you grew up with um, uh, Jews in your in your social circle. I don't know about about with Derek, um, but I wanted to you know open up to see if this if you guys had any questions for each other that would help in your in your education about each other's communities and practices and so forth. Well, I'd love to hear some. I'd love to hear a story about uh, James being a backup dancer for Flava Flav. That's what I wanted to have a question about. <laughs> <laughs> So, um, <laughs> now, I don't know how you know that first off, but... I read uh, your bio. I went on your website. I read your bio. Oh, shoot. Okay. <laughs> um, He's a big I'm sorry I didn't lead man. with that, James. <laughs> so, um, how that happened, like, my whole history is just a glorified mess of creative entrepreneurship. Ever since I, ever since I graduated from college... I never found my way to anything with my intended major. It was always stuff with entertainment. And one of the first gigs I got in entertainment, having grown up as a dancer uh, in hip hop and stuff, was getting cast in this short-lived web series called Dr. Fubilis. 
And uh, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's bizarre. But um, why was it short-lived? How <laughs> with I don't that know, title? Man. I don't know. Uh, but uh, they were casting in Utah, and they were filming in Utah because it was you know cheap to film there or whatever. And they built it around a couple of YouTube stars. Like they had uh, that girl who does Miranda Sings. They had Donovan Jordan there. And they had Flavor Flav there. I don't know how they ended up getting him. But, uh, you know, the, the whole idea was it was going to be these two hip-hop doctors who would basically do their practice, but basically turn the whole show into a musical where they just started rapping about stuff. And then that's <laughs> where the whole scene would turn into a music video with background dancers and everything. And I just happened to be one of those background dancers. Nice. <laughs> so, yeah, just right place, right time. That's all it was. <laughs> See, Jordan, if you had timed your, your trip out to Utah differently, you could have also been on set. That's very possible. But, you know, uh, I'm, I don't know if you've seen my dancing, but there is a reason I didn't <laughs> <laughs> His horror is a Jonathan, horror. Jonathan, any... And yeah, I'm good at dancing at the the horror. I could do the you know I could do the circle circular dancing, um, and uh -huh. I got that. I, I if if I have if I've done my stretching, I can do the, the Russian dancing with the you know kicking out the legs. Oh yeah, that's good. But I gotta you know that's... I gotta make sure I stretch beforehand. Yeah, can you can uh, teach James how to incorporate that into his act? Well, sure. shoot, I, I was young once. I'm not I'm not young anymore. <laughs> I can't. My knees don't do that no more. Yeah, <laughs> you don't break out the cardboard in your in your living room just to. <laughs> Too old for that nonsense. <laughs> Dancing days are behind me. <laughs> Jonathan, any any questions for for Derek or James? I mean, you know, we. I guess my question would be, you know, with Judaism, when people, you know, are against Judaism or you know they cause violence towards Jews or hatred, you know, we call it anti-Semitism, and I guess there's a lot of jokes and uh misunderstandings about i guess being a mormon but i guess it's more it's more acceptable it's more okay and i mean how do you guys feel about that sorry you what's more okay to like, more okay to make jokes about mormonism i feel oh. like like be, like having i guess it, i wouldn't describe it as hatred but you know taking mormonism lightly seems to be way more acceptable than doing so to other religions. And I, I think Mormonism has kind of earned that. And, you know, I'm, not, I'm saying that as somebody who, again, has seen that institutional code switch, like Mormonism used to be like a racialized, oppressed class of people because of the progressive ideals they once espoused. But like I said, they, they fully embraced the respectability of whiteness. And in so being, they, they became part of the mainstream. They became the definition of whiteness. So I think that whole thing is a lot more acceptable simply because they aren't they aren't really the oppressed class anymore. They're not really part of that anymore. They are they have in essence uh, adopted the sensibilities of the oppressor in order to avoid it themselves. And uh, you know that's not I'm not saying that to disparage Mormonism as a people or as a culture so much as I am to hopefully put into perspective why that is more acceptable and why I'm personally am okay with that. I I, I don't lose a wink of sleep over people making fun of Mormons for their beliefs or for their whiteness because there doesn't seem to be any institutional power behind doing such a thing, whereas the anti-Semitism does kind of have an institutional power behind it, and there is a lot more at risk there. So I, I don't feel any kind of way about people making fun of Mormons in that way because, again, no power. Okay. Yeah, I'm fine with people making fun of us too. You know, I, I did notice this because I saw the Book of Mormon musical. I don't know if you've seen it. I've seen it, yeah. But, yeah. but my theory is that if Broadway had done the exact same thing about Islam, we would have had a lot of woke liberals get, you know, really mad about that. But doing it to us is okay, I guess, um, in the wider public view. You said wider. I heard it. <laughs> Wider, W-I-D-E-R. Are there, like, Mormon haters? I'm sure. There's... I mean, there are. There definitely are. Like, if you go to SLC, like Salt Lake City Temple Square, during what we call General Conference twice a year, you're going to see people in a little picket box, you know, hating Mormonism. Like, there are some militant anti-Mormons out there. And, you know, a lot of them are people that have grew, grown up in the church who, you know, have had very negative experiences, and some are just other kinds of Christian zealots who just don't 
find any value in what we do and downright think it's of the devil. So those definitely exist. There are some militant anti-Mormons out there. Well, I'll say this too, you know, I, I know that there are lots of people who are, you know, anti and, and, and militant in that way, but I think that there's often a lot of judgment from within, you know, I think uh, even, especially in Judaism, you know, you get to the ultra-Orthodox uh, uh, Judaism sects, there's a lot of judgment towards people that are less Jewish, you know, if, uh, if, you, don't, if, you, don't adhere, if you don't adhere to all of the religious uh, laws, you know, you, you are shunned in a lot of ways, and they, they really make you feel uh, less than. And I think, you know, you hear stories about people in the Mormon church or in uh, a church where they where if they don't follow all the laws that they're also shunned or thrown out of the community. And people are yep. like, you know, uh, their own families turn their backs on them. And like, I, you know, mm-hmm. I, I have a bigger problem with that than I do with uh, some of the people that are protesting against it because they don't understand it. You know, I mm-hmm. think, you know, turning your back on your family because it, they, they, they believe something different. You know, I, I, that to me is, is, I think, one of the bigger problems is, you know, mm-hmm. to, to have uh, a zero tolerance policy within your own community and still have, uh, you know, problems with people outside the community. I mean, you know, I, mm-hmm. I feel like there's definitely a disconnect there. And I, yeah. that's why I like shows like this and opportunities to sit down and have a, an intellectual and, and real discussion about some of the differences and some of the things that we might not understand. James and Derek, do you have um, particular questions for, for Jonathan and Jordan about, about their experience? Yeah, I just wanted, oh, I, I can't really, I'm not sure exactly where to even start. Don't so let me just. up, Derek. <laughs> Get one question. <laughs> I'm just wondering, like, what, what do you see, what do you envision for the future of Judaism? Do you, do you would like the, to have a fully vibrant secular Judaism and religious Judaism coexisting for generations and generations? And to what extent do they need each other to continue? Hmm. That's a good question. The, when you get into some really hardcore uh, religious stuff, you know, Jonathan and I spent the first year of our podcast going through the Old Testament um, Torah portion by Torah portion and sort of breaking them down and looking at them from, um, you know, different viewpoints. And I think, you know, there's a there, there, there are a lot of issues in the Bible that, you know, pe- some people take that as like the literal word of God and these things actually happened. And you read it and it's hard to come to that conclusion. You know, I don't, you know, I feel like a lot of the organized uh, parts of it are, you know, for, you know, thousands of years ago, a lot of these stories were created to help keep communities together and to explain things that were unexplained. And I think to a certain degree that has evolved, you know, the, the, the thought process is different. I think that it's important to be able to keep communities together, to keep um, certain rituals and certain uh, traditions uh, uh, going. But I, I, I you know, I have a lot of problems with people who take things as literally as they do from the Bible. I think a lot of these are parables and stories that help to inform um, and, you know, that t- taking them as literally as some people do is where you run into a lot of problems. Derek, I'm um, curious for you, for you on this question of, of where communities are going. Do you have do you have a sense of, of how the LDS is is moving on, particularly on the issue of LGBTQ issues? Yeah, I think this is going to be the, the Mormon tradition as a whole is at a crossroads. We can choose to either um, retrench in all of the old things that were problematic, not, not just on the LGBT, but other issues as well. Or we can actually be open and I don't like the word assimilate, but kind of get with the program. And we have a choice to make. And I there's t- a tension within the, the community. Some people want to just re-fortify everything that was in the past. Others are much more open. I really think there's a good chance that we can be a very progressive tradition again, and it'll take about a generation. But I, I really think that that's where we're going. In part because we're so, at, at least in this part of our time, really interconnected with the civic life, the educational world. We're, we're really getting all the same facts that everyone else is getting. And I think that will tend to help us shift. And do you think that's going to be a shift that's going to come from from led by the culture or or led by the the hierarchy? I mean, the administration in in the LDS Church is, I mean, is by definition, you know, divinely ordained, right? Right, and that needs to be a two way conversation. That uh, 
knowledge comes from the bottom and from the top. You know, um, the existence of Bible verses implies the existence of Bible tops and Bible bottoms. And there's power <laughs> on the bottom. Dave, you thought you were going to get a joke in today. Yeah, I know. See, that's what I'm telling you. I'm not actually funny, but I think I am. And that's more funny than what I'm saying. All right, James and Derek, best LDS inside joke that you've heard around the potluck table. Oh, gosh, man. I haven't been to a potluck in literally years. Just to avoid <laughs> this kind of thing. Like, I, I can't stand that banter, man. Like, I go for the free food and I dip. You know what I'm saying? Just don't make me talk to nobody. Don't make me do nothing. Just well, maybe that's me... why you're still single. Okay. Okay. Derek knows that's a tough spot for me, man. But yeah. this is a... <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> but this is a whole thing, man. I'm just not trying He's to... aging out of the singles ward. I've aged out of the singles board, bro. Like yeah. I'm 32 now. I'm straight up Uh-oh. out of the. I'm straight up Take out of the. Take him out the pasture. <laughs> but yeah. But yes. um, should, is there an inside joke that they might be able to appreciate, know. Derek? I don't. I don't know, man. I've heard. Well, let me tell this joke that I told the other day. Um, how many Mormons does it take to change a light bulb? Okay. How many? Two. One to change it, and the other to say, actually, that wasn't really a change. <laughs> Because we've made so much, we try to make sense of our changes and try to say that there's actually continuity behind them. We've made mm-hmm. so many changes already, but it doesn't feel like a change. When, uh, and I think the cognitive dissonance of trying to say we were wrong is so tough for people that they just don't want to see it as a change. I think my favorite part of that joke is the explanation, because obviously... That's how you can test whether something's funny or not. Is if it's a long explanation at the end. Well, I mean, I can, people might not know the background of that joke. So I, I can tell yeah. you my I can tell you my Mormon joke. Go yeah. for it. Uh, you know, I always say that uh, you know I was in, I was in Utah uh, for St. Patrick's Day, which is the you know it's very hard to get drunk in Utah. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Um, mostly because the Mormons control all the laws. That's why it happens. They're, they're not even Mormons are not even allowed to have coffee. No stimulants of any kind. No coffee. But go ahead and get married as often as you'd like. See how many women you can tolerate without coffee. <laughs> oh, no. Sounds more like a challenge than a belief system. But all right, let's see. That was actually, that was actually my last civilian job before I moved into entertainment was uh, I was a bartender in Utah. Oh, boy. Wow. Yeah. I thought you were going to say marriage counselor. No. <laughs> Well, I just want to add that as a gay dude, I'm the last person to have multiple wives. I'm not even going to get to wife number one. So you don't have to worry about that. All I want to say is that, James, just note that the comedians think I'm funny. No, don't give them that. Don't yes. encourage them, guys. No. Our listeners are going to hear this and now, like, demand more jokes from Derek. I got to hear. Goodness. Yeah, Maybe. listen, if, if they are demanding jokes from Derek, why don't we hear some jokes from James? I don't have jokes. That's I'm not James, the funny guy. James just dances. He's just the warm-up. So, I'm James's funniest joke. I'm the foil. <laughs> like, that's the whole thing. I'm the foil. Like Half the fun is Derek telling the joke, and the other half is me rolling my eyes. There you go. <laughs> all right, gents. Well, I appreciate all of you being available to, uh, to chat today. I hope we, we help to uh, shed some light on... You know, a little peek behind the curtain um, for each of our, our uh, uh, respective communities that you guys represent. And um, I wanted to, I know we unfortunately lost Jonathan there towards the end, but uh, Jordan, could you share a little bit about um, where to find uh, some of your and Jonathan's work and about where to find American Jew? Uh, yeah, sure. So the podcast is called American Jew. We're on uh, Apple, iTunes. We're on uh, Spotify. We have uh, you can find us on Facebook or on Instagram at American Jew Podcast. We're on Twitter at American Jew Pod. You can always send us an email at American Jew Podcast at gmail dot com. And I have a second podcast of my own that I run called uh, Where's the Grief. I interview uh, comedians and creative types about tragic loss they've encountered. My show tries to normalize that conversation and try to get people to stop <laughs> getting in their own way uh, towards healing. Mm. That's great. That's uh, You're doing the Lord's work. I'm doing something. James and Derek, uh, how about Beyond uh, Beyond the Block? Can you tell us where to find that and find your good works? But yeah, you can uh, find us at 
beyondtheblockpodcast.com. We are also on Twitter and Instagram at BTBLDS. That's BTBLDS. And uh, we're also on Spotify, iTunes, Apple Podcasts, rather, uh, Google Play, and pretty much every major streaming podcast platform. Uh, we'll circle back to Jonathan since we missed you before. How can folks find out about your comedy? You could find me across social media platforms at Jonathan Randall. You could check out my website, thatjonathanrandallguy.com. All right, guys. This has been great. Thanks again so much. Looking forward to talking to you all soon. All yeah, right. Thank you, thank Jack. You. Uh, thanks, James and Derek. Nice chatting with you guys. Likewise, yeah. Jordan and Jonathan. Likewise. Yes, great Bye. talking with you guys. You will. Dear listener, that's a wrap on this week's Interfaith-ish. Thanks again to James, Derek, Jordan, and Jonathan for joining me. Be sure to add American Jew and Beyond the Block to your podcast feed. As always, I want to give a shout out to my fellow interfaith astronauts, Miranda Hofmeyer and Sue Katz-Miller, and to our musical maestro, Jeff Philosopher. And of course, thank you, dear listener, for spending your hour with us. You can find our entire back catalog of Interfaith-ish episodes wherever you find and enjoy podcasts. You can follow us on social media at Interfaith-ish, and leave us a voicemail on our special listener line, 202-599-2953. Keep writing us with the Interfaith-ish you wish to dish at interfaithish at gmail.com. That's I-N-T-E-R-F-A-I-T-H-I-S-H at gmail.com. I'd love to hear how you think we're doing with these crossover episodes. Have you found a new podcast that you like? Interfaith-ish will be back in two weeks. Until then, keep it locked to WOWD 94.3 FM for great music and programs seven days a week, streaming online at TacomaRadio.org.